morning, folks. It's so good to see your face again this morning. I, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be able to come together and worship God corporately. I don't think I will ever take for granted again our Sunday morning worship times. Just so delighted. In fact, I had a friend in, in Barrie who was able to meet, their church was able to meet for two weeks, and then now they're back into lockdown, so no more for a while until they can get back to orange or yellow or whatever color they need to be. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. This morning we are going to continue our study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians by focusing on verses 14 through to the end of verse 17. Just four verses in which the Apostle Paul describes the armor of God, the full armor of God. Is the name Dana White familiar to any of you? Have you heard of Dana White? Some have. He is the president of the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championships. In 2001, Dana White was appointed the president of the UFC. It had just been purchased by a childhood friend and the friend's older brother, for $2 million. Under Dana White's leadership, it has become the largest mixed martial arts, MMA, organization in the world. In 2016, the company sold again for just over $4 billion. In the early days, as part of his responsibilities as the UFC president, He was to scour the MMA backwaters, attending local competitions in order to discover new talent to sign to a UFC contract. In 2015, they launched season one of a reality TV series that showed his adventures in trying to travel all over the place to these out-of-the-way places to watch these local competitions in order to discover new talent. The name of the show is Looking for a Fight. Now, I've never seen the show, but I have to admit, I love the name. Looking for a Fight. You know, the last week's message, we learned that as believers, we never have to go around looking for a fight. According to the Apostle Paul, The fight is going to find us. Not a secret, not a street fight or a bar brawl or a fight that takes place in a 25 foot or 30 foot octagon called the cage. But the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13, informs us that as believers, faithful followers of Jesus Christ, will find themselves on a spiritual battlefield, which means this fight remains hidden. We can't see it with our own eyes. In fact, look at verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This battle is in the spiritual realm. 
our human eyes, physical eyes, are absolutely useless. We can't see world forces of darkness or spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. They remain hidden. And sometimes, if we're being honest, the old saying is true, out of sight, out of mind, right? But anyone with eyes that see can certainly see the results of the battle. Flesh and blood casualties, shattered dreams, wounded hearts, broken lives. They're all around us. And Paul also made us aware that for believers, this is an unavoidable battle. An unavoidable battle against an invisible opponent in which Paul charges us as believers. In fact, he he commands us to stand firm. How is that possible? Well, the short answer is, it's not. It is not possible for you or I, or even us collectively, together, to stand firm against these invisible opponents on a spiritual battlefield. We're incapable of standing firm on our own. But last week we discovered some good news. God enables believers to stand firm on the spiritual battlefield. We do that by relying on God's enablements, and there were four of them. His power, his provision, his perspective, and his providence, his loving care for us. You and I can stand firm on the spiritual battlefield by relying on God's enablement. But, beloved, that's only part of the story. This morning, the story continues. In fact, I've titled this morning's message, Standing Firm on the Spiritual Battlefield, Part 2. I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning than usual. Allow me to read the passage. We'll have a short prayer together, asking God to illumine our minds, help us to understand his word. And then I'm going to begin, right at the beginning, with a thesis statement of the entire message. I wonder if I, can I have a couple of masked people come up? I've got these sermon notes. I don't know whether you picked them up as you walked in this morning. They're usually on display, but I think it'd be helpful if you had these. Can I have a couple of guys come and help me distribute these? Anybody who wants one, please put up your hand. Someone else? Aaron? Thank you. As you get that sermon notes, you'll notice that the thesis statement is printed in bold. And I believe that it captures the truth of this passage of Scripture, verses 14 to 17, in a single sentence. So here's the plan. We will be working our way through these four verses of Scripture by 
considering each phrase of that thesis statement. In the end, it is my hope and prayer that you will leave this morning with a renewed determination to be able to stand firm on the spiritual battlefield. If you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the reading from God's Word. I'm going to begin reading at verse 10 and read through to the end of verse 17. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is God's Word for us this morning. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Father, you are a relational God. You're a God of love, compassion, faithfulness, and wisdom. Thank you for expressing your love, compassion, faithfulness, and wisdom by communicating with us through the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and through the inspired written word given and preserved down through the ages so that we may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The same good works we learned in Ephesians chapter 2 that you prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And now may that same spirit that moved writers, the writers of scripture to write Illumine our minds so that we might be able to grasp your intended meaning of these verses we are focusing on this morning. Not for our own understanding, but for our transformation. Use these words to enable us to stand firm when the fight finds us. We accept the fact that becoming faithful followers of Jesus places a target on our backs. That battle is being fought in the spiritual realm. And that apart from your involvement, we're incapable of standing firm. Help us, we pray. By the power of your spirit, for your glory and our good, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So the full armor of God enables believers to ready themselves to stand firm with confidence and courage on the spiritual battlefield. You'll see that written on that top of that page. I wonder if we should just take a moment, having read that passage of Scripture, and now looking at the thesis, let's just ponder that for a moment. Read it over a couple of times silently. Again, my purpose this morning is to motivate, inspire, and compel you so that by the end of this service, you'll leave this worship center this morning with a renewed determination to ready yourself to stand firm with confidence and courage on the spiritual battlefield. Beloved, standing firm on the spiritual battlefield is a possibility. And that's good news. Let's read this statement together aloud, shall we? The, f- the full armor of God enables believers to ready themselves to stand firm with confidence and courage on the spiritual battlefield. Let's try that again. I think you can do better than that. The full armor of God enables believers to ready themselves to stand firm with confidence and courage on the spiritual battlefield. You'll notice it begins with the full armor of God. Did you notice that? It's the full armor. We don't want to find ourselves on the battlefield half-dressed. Look at verse 11. Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the full armor of God. And then verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. Every piece that we leave behind exposes a vital part for which our opponents will be aiming. That we know for sure. And for that reason will want to enter the battle fully dressed. Beloved, take advantage of every available piece of protective equipment that you can get your hands on. That only makes sense, right? Again, allow me to remind us of our goal as stated in these verses that we read this morning from verse 10 to the end of verse 17. It's not to win the battle. The battle has already been won. Don't ever forget that. The goal is to stand firm. Nothing more and nothing less. Jesus won the battle when he died and rose again from the dead. Satan and his allies are defeated foes. Our duty as faithful followers of Jesus Christ is to stand firm. 
Look back at verse 11 again. Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And again in verse 13. So that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. And the full armor of God enables you and I to do just that, to stand firm. But not if we leave it hanging in the closet. In these four verses that we're focusing on this morning, there are just two imperatives. The first is obvious. Stand firm. You may want to underline, circle, or highlight it if you haven't done so already. The second is found in verse 17. And it remains a little more hidden. You might not be able to pick this out quite as quickly. It's the word take. Mark that one for sure, because it's easy to miss. So there are two commands for us to obey. Stand firm and take. If you want to solve a crime, considering, or if you watch uh, detective stories on, on television, you follow the money, right? Well, if you want to discover the author's intended meaning in this biblical text, or any biblical text for that matter, follow the verbs. In these verses, it's stand firm and take. Now clearly, this passage of scripture, the Apostle Paul is painting a picture in our minds. He uses a metaphor or allegory of the protective equipment worn by a Roman soldier. It's a metaphor or an allegory. Perhaps it may be helpful for us to remember where Paul is at this point in his life and ministry. He's actually incarcerated in the city of Rome. Having appealed to Caesar while being interrogated in Caesarea of Philippi. It didn't look like he was going to make much headway with the court system there. According to Acts chapter 25 verse 11. So he appealed as a Roman citizen to Caesar. He wanted to be heard and so they, they shipped him to Rome. And so this letter to the Ephesians is actually written while Paul is incarcerated. That's why it's called one of the prison epistles, along with Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. All of them written during the Apostle Paul's first imprisonment in the city of Rome between the years A.D. 60 in AD 62. He was eventually released after a two-year period under house arrest. Later he was re-arrested and that led to, according to church history and church tradition, to his death by beheading under the Roman rule. But listen to Acts chapter 28 verse 16. When we arrived in Rome, 
Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging. He was a prisoner under house arrest, and he was allowed to have his own private lodging, which was quite a deal, except verse 30 tells us, at his own expense. But notice the end of verse 16. Though he was guarded by a soldier. So, this protective equipment worn by Roman soldiers that became a metaphor in his letter to the Ephesians was on full display for the Apostle Paul 24-7, 365 days a year for at least two years. Would have been easy for the Apostle Paul to draw the comparison or the parallel between the physical protective equipment of a Roman soldier and the spiritual protective equipment that prepared believers for the spiritual battlefield. The former was supplied by Rome. For the believer, the latter was supplied in the full armor of God. I do want to just sound a little bit of a caution when it comes to, well, it's an interpretive strategy when it comes to the use of metaphors and illustrations. It's always a temptation to allow our creative juices to run wild. We end up, rather than discovering the truth, it becomes a case of confusion and and lack of clarity. Sometimes those creative juices will allow us to read more into the text than was ever intended. So let's just agree to operate under the interpretive strategy of the KISS principle. Keep it simple, Simon. And that's what we'll try and do this morning. With that, let's look at these individual pieces of the Roman soldiers' equipment and what they represent in the full armor of God. Verse 14. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. When was the last time you girded your loin? Almost sounds obscene. But I found the New Living Translation's translation of this phrase really helpful. Put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. For the Roman soldier, the belt was actually like an apron of leather strips fastened around his waist. Those leather strips would hang down, covering the soldier's thighs. From his knees to his waist, these leather strips would provide protection for his lower body. And then for the believer, the belt represents truth. Put on truth, God's truth, as revealed in his word, becoming increasingly displayed in our lives. You're not just becoming smarter, knowing more. The truth is actually influencing your words and your deeds, your actions and your reactions, your hopes and your dreams. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul wrote this, Since you have heard about Jesus, 
and have learned the truth that comes from him. Keep on learning that truth that comes from Jesus. The one who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. And for goodness sakes, obey the truth that you have discovered. That you already know is true. Verse 14 continues. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. The Roman soldier's breastplate was a piece of metal that protected his chest. His upper body. That is home where all our vital organs are found. I suppose it would provide the, the same kind of protection that a um, bulletproof vest might provide today. Believers are to live lives that display God's righteousness. That's what the breast illustrated. Righteousness or holiness is a distinct calling for God's people. Both in the Old Testament and the New, we find God declaring, Be holy, for I am holy. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, and 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Again, when was the last time you shod your feet? Sounds like something my grandfather would have done to his horses. But actually, we all shod our feet before coming to church this morning. The New Living Translation reads, For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. Feet of peace. The Roman soldier's footwear was a leather half boot with open sides that didn't cover the ankles. They had metal studs on the sole of the boot for traction so they wouldn't slip. So for the believer, these boots or shoes represent a preparation or readiness with the gospel of peace. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, it reads, But in your hearts, rever Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ, against your breastplate of righteousness, may be ashamed of their slander. Turn back with me for a moment to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 2. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. That's the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. So when they came to Christ, the hostility that they'd experienced goes away. 
They are one in Christ. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the hatred, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Look at verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. Alluding to the Messiah's coming and preaching peace. Believers have peace with one another and with God. I know of a young preacher who had the reference Isaiah 52 verse 7 tattooed on the top of his foot. Anyone know what Isaiah 52 7 says? Listen to it. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Certainly Isaiah referring to the Messiah's coming, but it's also referring to us as ambassadors of Christ who announce peace. Beloved, we need to be ready with the gospel of peace. Peace with God, first and foremost, and then promoters and preservers of the peace that Christ has created in each of us who've come to him. It is somewhat ironic, I have to admit, that the gospel of peace appears in a passage that is preparing believers for the spiritual battlefield. But verse 16, notice, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, the shield of faith. For the Roman soldier, this would have been a piece of wood that's probably about two and a half feet wide and four and a half feet high. It's covered with animal skins and reinforced with metal. The animal skins, when soaked with water, made these shields capable of extinguishing those firing arrows that had been, the tips had been dipped in, in hot oil and set aflame. For the believer, faith is fundamental. It's essential. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. In verse 1 of the same chapter, faith is actually defined for us. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Then the chapter continues, Hebrews chapter 11, by presenting all kinds of Old Testament saints who lived out the kind of faith that we're talking about here. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 is sometimes called the the Faith Hall of Fame. This kind of faith 
that Paul is referring to here is simply trusting God, taking him at his word, believing him. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 speaks of this kind of faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Let's return to the next phrase of our thesis statement for just a moment. The full armor of God enables believers to ready themselves. These four participles that are found in these first few verses are all words that are telling us how believers are enabled to stand firm on the spiritual battlefield by putting on truth, righteousness, peace, faith. Interesting. All those participles are alluding to four attributes of God. And yet these participles are written in a way that places the onus on you and on I, on me. In other words, God has done his part in verses 10 through 13. He's given us all that we need. But Paul is now assigning us our responsibilities, what we need to do in order to prepare for the spiritual battlefield. God's done his part. Now it's up to you and I. The best we can do is to prepare together. I can't prepare for you, and you can't prepare for me, but we can prepare together. Paul is laying out our duties or our responsibilities, much like he did in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. There he was speaking of our progressive sanctification, of becoming more and more like Jesus, little by little every day, little by little in every way. Listen as he wrote. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's clearly your responsibility and mine. And then, for it is God who is working in you. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, it is work out your protection by putting on the full armor of God, for it is God who protects you. The point is, as believers, we have the responsibility to ready ourselves. The full armor of God enables believers to ready themselves, notice, to stand firm. We talked about this last week, and I, I mentioned it earlier in the message, that the battle's been won. The goal for us is not to win any battle, but to avoid retreating or losing ground that has been won. 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, says it about as well as it can be said. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, 
be that stake driven in the ground. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always prepared to fight the good fight. No retreat, no giving up ground. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. These four participle phrases were used by the Apostle Paul to tell us the means by which we can stand firm on the battlefield. It becomes a possibility. And they carry the same weight as that verb. The participles inherit the imperative. This is not an option. This is not up for debate. It's not like a smorgasbord where we can pick and choose our favorites. It's requiring or demanding us to have truth, righteousness, peace, and faith. Put them on. Verse 11 tells us. Take them up, according to verse 13. And by the way, that's an order. Coming from Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. We do that for God's glory and our good and for the good of others. The full armor of God enables believers to ready themselves to stand firm with confidence and courage. This brings us back to those remaining two pieces of equipment that are to be part of the full armor of God. Notice verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. For the Roman soldier, the helmet provided protection for his head, obviously. The sword was his only weapon. In fact, some people would say his only offensive weapon. But I think that it can be used as both. A sword provides a good offense and a good defense. I'd like to remind us that Paul is writing to believers here, to saints who were in the city of Ephesus. So what then does he mean when he says, the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. I think this is where noticing that second imperative becomes really helpful. Remember that word take that we mentioned at the beginning? It's an imperative. And this is a different Greek word than the word take up, used in verse 13. Similar meanings, but completely different words. And we have to ask, well, Paul's saying something here. Or he would have used the same word. We need to pay attention. This word is translated elsewhere in our New Testament with words like welcome, receive, and accept. In fact, 43 times, out of the 56 times it appears in our New Testament, it is translated receive. 
like receiving a guest in your home, practicing hospitality at home. Here's my thinking for believers. Receiving the helmet of salvation is speaking of the assurance of salvation. Doesn't that make sense in this context? This gives me another opportunity to review a couple of my scripture memory verses under the title of Assurance of Salvation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I'm going to expand that to begin at verse 11. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Take that kind of assurance onto the battlefield. And then John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Life that lasts begins today and lasts through into eternity, beyond our physical death. Life with God forever. You and I need to take that kind of confidence onto the spiritual battlefield. Make all the difference in the world. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 1, please. Book of Joshua, back near the beginning, the Bible. In fact, let me begin reading in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 5. So Moses... Now, everybody knows about Moses. Probably the greatest leader this world has ever seen. Leading two million Jewish people, complainers, constant complainers, who refused to follow God with any kind of faithfulness. Moses led those people from Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness, to the very borders of the land that God had promised them. Sent out 12 spies. They came back. Two made a good report. Ten made a negative report. And they decided not to go in. And for the next 40 years, Moses led them in circles in the wilderness until all of that generation had died. And then they came to the promised land again. And there, verse 5 says, the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab waiting to enter the promised land. He was not allowed to go in. Died there according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no man knows his burial place to this day. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dim nor his vigor abated. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab For 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Oh, and by the way, 
Joshua, you're the next leader for the nation of Israel. Uh, excuse me? Verse 6 of Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you? God's asking. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I don't know. I may have needed him to repeat that more than just three times. But look at verse 8. In the midst of all this be strong and courageous stuff, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you'll make then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The full armor of God enables the believers to ready themselves to stand firm with, with confidence and courage on the spiritual battlefield. As a believer, someone who's believes that Jesus is the Christ and is the Son of God, and by faith has responded by placing their trust in him alone for their salvation. Peter refers to us as aliens and strangers in this world. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. You see, beloved, we're just passing through. This is not our final destination or our eternal home. So keep your head up. Your eyes wide open. Don't go around half-dressed. Put on the full armor of God. The full armor of God enables believers to ready themselves to stand firm with confidence and courage on the spiritual battlefield. Last week, you'll remember, it was be aware. Wake up. Be on guard. Understand that you and I are in a, on a spiritual battlefield every day of our lives. Be aware. This week, it is be prepared. Put on the full armor of God. Every resource that God has made available. I don't think this is a, a list, a comprehensive list. An exhaustive list. He was looking at a Roman soldier and he's saying, hmm, each one of that, that soldier's equipment, piece of equipment, reminds me of something that we need to be aware of. We need to put on the full armor. And here's some examples of what that armor looks like. Make adv take advantage of every resource that God provides for us so that we can be successful 
and standing firm on the spiritual battlefield. The full armor of God enables believers to ready themselves, it's our responsibility, to stand firm with confidence and courage on the spiritual battlefield. Let's pray. Father, what a great encouragement that you've provided all that we need to fulfill the the command, the demand that you place on each one of us as believers and then on us collectively as a local assembly of believers to stand firm, to drive that stake in the ground. Forgive us for trying to do it in our own strength. We're incapable of that. And we know that. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we need you. And we're here appealing to you this morning to help us to be conscious of this spiritual battlefield on which you've placed us and that all those resources that are available for us to fulfill our responsibility of putting on these resources so that we can indeed stand firm, bring glory to your name, and experience the full life that you want each one of us to experience. May we be found faithful. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.